the first Star Wars movie? Raise your hand. And I'm not talking about the, the prequel, The Phantom Menace. I know that's technically Star Wars 1, but let's all agree it never happened. I'm talking about the real first one, Episode 4, A New Hope, the one that came out in 1972, according to Wikipedia. Maybe, did I just write a number in there and forgot to fact check it? 76, okay. I heard a number in there and forgot to fact check it, which is funny. And you'll see later. <laughs> so can you think back to the first time that you saw that movie? What was it like? What were you expecting? I remember seeing a documentary uh, on the making of the first Star Wars movie. And they had the actors and actresses who were in the films talking about what it was like being on set when they filmed some of these iconic scenes. They talked about how they made the Star Destroyers out of Legos and how all of these awesome scenes of X-Wings flying and shooting Star Destroyers were just like these things flying over a mishmash table of Legos. And they looked at themselves and they, uh, on the camera, they said, we looked at each other and we thought, this movie is going to be terrible. <laughs> then they saw it. Then they saw how it turned out. We all saw how it turned out. But think back to that first time. Whether you were in the theater or whether you had to watch it on VHS because you weren't alive in 1976 when it came out. <laughs> but notice I said VHS. Some bona fides. But the music starts. Then the horns come in, the trumpets. Da We did this last week, it's okay. Star Wars flashes across the screen. And then this text flies through space. Episode four. I remember being a kid seeing it for the first time, not having any idea what IV was. You were right, the jokes don't get better. But episode four. I actually do remember thinking, wait, what? Four? Did I get the wrong movie from Blockbuster? I want to watch the first one. Why is it saying four? Okay, better, but remember Blockbuster? That was awesome, right? But we read this text of this long story that we are being dropped right into the middle of. When you first saw Star Wars, were you a little confused? I was a 10. Was it a little weird at the start? But you thought, hey, let's go along with it and see. That's kind of how I was. We are currently in the Christian season of Advent. This is a season where we spend four weeks waiting and preparing ourselves to hear the Christmas story anew. We remember that Israel waited generations for their Messiah, and we are reminded that we ourselves are, are waiting for our Messiah, Jesus, to return. Advent is a time where we say the world needs a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. We are talking about Advent through the lens of Star Wars this year, and not just because I wanted an excuse to wear Star Wars t-shirts to church, although hashtag job perks. We are doing this because in Revelation, John the Seer depicts the birth of Christ in galactic terms, as this cosmic war between the forces of good, God, and the forces of evil and wickedness. 
and that looking at an epic intergalactic story like Star Wars can help us see the cosmic implications of Christmas. Last week, we started at the end, literally, with the book of Revelation, with Christ's second coming and return of the Jedi. This week, we are going back to the beginning, at least the beginning of the new beginning, and are going to look at the first eight verses of the first gospel ever written and a new hope. We are looking at Mark 1, 1 through 8. Here is the full reading, and then we will take it in sections. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So here is something a little ironic for you. Mark begins by saying, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, and the quote, a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him, is from Isaiah. But I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. Not from Isaiah. It's from Malachi. And uh, I put that in there just as a little joke. And then I got something wrong in my thing too. So Mark is having a little fun in heaven with me at my expense. But that's what I get for trying to take on a gospel writer. But always check your sources. Back to serious talk. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. We begin with a bold claim. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Right away we are told that this is not a small story that we are about to read. This is about the Messiah, the one prophesied about for generations. This is about the Son of God. Now, Son of God is a curious term. We now associate this term with Jesus Christ, but originally the term was used for the Roman Emperor. After his death, Julius Caesar was dubbed Divus Julius or Divine Julius. His adopted son and successor Octavian was then called Filius Divus Julius, son of the Divine Julius, which was then simplified to Filius Divus, son of God. Subsequent Roman emperors took on this term for themselves. Mark says from the start, Jesus, not the Roman Empire, emperor, Jesus is the son of God. He is not making this term up, nor is he using it unaware of the connotation. He is making a point right from the start. Then Mark immediately begins to quote the prophets. 
After telling us this was a story of Jesus, the promised Messiah and Son of God, Mark pivots to people prophesying not about Jesus, but about the person who would prepare the way for Jesus. What this says is that even though we are just starting the story about Jesus, this is a story within a much larger story. When Star Wars A New Hope begins, we are immediately clued into the larger story. We are told about an evil galactic empire that has plans and designs to build a horrific space station called a Death Star. We hear of a rebellion that is just starting to gain a foothold. The rebellion has the plans for the Death Star and Leia is bringing the plans back to Rebel Command. The movie is going to begin with soldiers from the Empire pursuing her. This is how Star Wars begins. In the midst of an epic war with fully developed characters and roles, we are dropped into the middle of a fully formed plot. It's not too soon before we meet the droids, one who can't stop talking and the other who beeps. Boop, 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 boop. And, uh, who has plans and a message from Leia. They are sent to a desert planet where we meet another group of people who have their own lives and their own stories. Here's why this is important, not just for Star Wars, but for Advent, for Christmas, the Jesus story, and our lives. What we are waiting for and what we celebrate at Christmas was not the beginning of God's interaction with humanity. The Christian story is one that goes back to the beginning of time. Star Wars does not begin with Luke Skywalker, nor is it true or fair to say that Star Wars is a story primarily about Luke Skywalker. It begins with this whole history and drama already set. Similarly, it's important for us to see that Mark links the quote, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, with quotes from the prophets. Because the story of Jesus isn't just about the man Jesus, son of Joseph. It's primarily a story about a God who created the heavens and the earth, made covenants with humanity through the people Israel, and has been working with humanity from the very beginning to bring about a creation that is as perfect as God himself is perfect. There is a fallacy in Christian thinking that sees a break from how God related to humanity prior to Jesus and how God relates to humanity in Jesus. While God certainly is doing a new thing in Jesus, God is not doing something that negates all the other things that God has done. The introduction of Jesus does not reduce all that came before Jesus to the ranks of unimportant. Instead, what Mark is saying here is that to get Jesus, you have to get the prophets. You have to get the story of Israel. You have to get the story that God himself is dropping into the middle of. To get Star Wars is to get that there's a grand story you're starting in the middle. To get the Gospels is to get there's a grand story that you're starting in the middle. As the plot of Star Wars continues, we see that there's somewhat of a narrative problem. We meet Luke Skywalker, and it's clear this story is going to involve him in a special way. But how do you connect this larger story that the first few minutes have hinted at to Luke, a guy literally living in a desert? How do you introduce Luke to the wider narrative? You need some sort of connector. So who does Luke happen to come into contact with in a cave in the middle of a desert planet? Obi-Wan. 
and Obi-Wan is the key to getting Luke within the wider story of the epic battle of Star Wars. So how do we get Jesus into the larger story of God's relation with humanity? And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Mark says that this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. And the first thing he does after saying that are to quote prophets and then begin to talk about John the Baptist. Which is a little weird. It's the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ and we haven't gotten to Jesus yet. But Mark believes that it is imperative to see how this story, how the good news of Jesus Christ connects to the larger story. And if you say, well, Mark knew that he had all this time so he could put a longer introduction, no, Mark's is the quickest gospel ever. Uh, Mark does not mince words. If Mark includes it, it's important. And the way Mark does connect it is John the Baptist. We read of this man who appears in the wilderness talking about repenting from unrighteous action. John's message was that if the people Israel would turn from their wicked ways, God would forgive their sins. And the sign of God's blessing would be mediated through water. John is not the first person in the Bible to talk about repentance. John is not the first person in the Bible to say that if people would turn from sin, that God would forgive them. And this is not the first time that God's blessing is signified through coming through waters. Instead, this is a symbolic synopsis of the entire Old Testament story. All throughout the Old Testament, prophets would... Uh, we, sorry, all throughout the Old Testament, we see prophets calling the leaders and the entire people of Israel to turn back to God. We see the prophets saying that if you would turn away from the foreign gods and serve the Lord your God, a famine will end. God will bring rain. We see the prophets saying that if you turn from foreign gods and remember the Lord your God, remember to follow Torah, God will end the exile. God will stop the threatening foreign army. God will save Israel. And all of this was based on how God first saved Israel through the Red Sea when they were slaves in Egypt. John the Baptist serves as a reminder of the entire history of God with Israel. But what's different is that in the Old Testament, most of the time, prophets weren't listened to. They were stoned. They were punished. They were scapegoated. Now the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were coming to him. Finally, all of Israel is listening to a prophet, Mark tells us. And all of Judea and Jerusalem finally listening to a prophet, now the one who is to come can finally come. John announces that soon one will come who is greater than him, one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Similarly, Obi-Wan invites Luke into the larger narrative. Obi-Wan tells Luke and us about the larger story, the larger history that Luke is about to step into. Obi-Wan talks about a noble order called the Jedi who served the Force and protected the galaxy. Obi-Wan himself embodies that order. 
He talks about an evil man named Darth Vader who cut down all of the Jedi. And then gives Luke a lightsaber showing that Luke himself will fit into this narrative. But there's something else there. Something left unsaid. There's a hint that Luke might be different than all the other Jedi that Darth Vader hunted and killed. Maybe Luke himself could be the new hope that the title suggests is coming. So beyond a treatise as to why the Old Testament matters, what does this mean for our lives? Christmas is about welcoming the Christ child into our world. But for us who celebrate Christmas thousands of years after the birth of Christ, it's about celebrating God's presence in our world and in our lives. Because of the birth of Christ, we know that God is with us. That's what Emmanuel means. God is here. God is in the world, working with the world. God is with the world. The incarnation means that God became part of the world. But what Advent teaches us is that God has been doing this for a long, long time. And what this means for your life is that God has been there, and God has been working, and God has been doing before you ever realized that God was there. God was loving you. God was giving you grace. God was giving you life before you ever knew it. We all have a story about how God has impacted our lives. What Advent teaches us is that God's impact on our life and God's involvement in our lives started way before we could possibly know. And not just that. God is right now working in the life of someone you know, someone you love, someone you wish would know how much God loves her or God loves him. God is working in that person's life. God is working in that person's heart. God is already and has been part of that person's story. This Christmas, that person can have a new hope. That person can come to see Jesus for the first time. But that hope is based on the same old God moving and working in ways we can only marvel at later. And as we finish this morning, consider this. Maybe the way that God is working in that person's life is you. Maybe the way that person is going to come to have a new hope is your invitation to come to Christmas Eve or to check out this CD. Maybe you can be the Obi-Wan in that person's life. We're going to pray for a few moments in silence. And as we pray, listen for God's voice telling you someone that you can nudge, that you can invite into this story this year. Let us pray.